0: Good morning everybody. Welcome to Just Human number 182. It is Wednesday and this cup of coffee is the most important thing in the world to me right now. <laughs> I am I am having one of those mornings where like the coffee there is no such thing as too strong of a coffee. Um and I made I may tear through this cup in about 15 minutes and have to go get another. Uh, we may have an early intermission this morning. I did not do very much sleeping last night and I don't really know why, but it wasn't that good of a night's rest and so I am I am on that coffee drip this morning. Um, it feels like it feels like a Monday even though it's Wednesday. I have um, a stack that is probably too big for the amount of time that I have uh, this morning, but I want to try and get through as much of it as I can. There's quite a bit of news that I'm going to get to today that is, uh, falls within the framework of understanding is greater than reacting, uh, where I have a number of news stories that people seem to be reacting to, um, as far as I can tell everywhere I've shared it. Um, there's been a lot of reacting and I want to try and provide some understanding. Cause I think, I think people need that, um, and I also I want to finish up on some uh some mindset type post, uh, several of them that I came across that I think are important to present. And I want to leave you all with a um, bit of housekeeping. I'll be streaming today, of course, and uh, tonight for Devolution Power Hour. But I won't do a show on Friday. And that's because wife's going out of town on a business trip um, and I got to handle the kids going back and forth to school. And there's a school event on Thursday night. So I'm just simply not going to have the time to prepare a show for Friday morning. Um, If something big drops or something, you know, like um, an indictment or something where I can just like hit the stream button on Friday morning and read that to you and, and discuss it for a couple hours, then I'll do that. But right now I'm thinking I probably won't do a show on Friday because I, I just won't have time to prepare one. Um, I'll be, I'm going to be super dad for the next several days, um, which I'm looking forward to it. Now I have to admit before I get accused of anything. Yes. Me taking off on Friday does just happen by just, it's just chance. It's just fortuitousness. It does happen to coincide with the beginning of formula one testing. And so that is not the reason I'm taking off. It's just a bonus that formula one testing is going to be happening on Friday while I'm not streaming. So they're not, those things are not related. It's not correlation does not equal causation in this matter. Um, it's going to address that right now. Okay. First thing I want to, uh, present to you guys this morning real quick. We're going to hop around real quick with, uh, some news here and there. One, I just want to give a shout out to unusual dot Um, unusual whales on Twitter is an excellent follow and they cover a lot of economic stuff, stock market, etc. but they've done really good coverage of the FTX scandal. And one of the things they have added to their website, um, unusualwills.com, but most people are familiar with them from their Twitter is they have this spreadsheet that is tracking the FTX donations and lobbying money and who has returned that money or what they've done with it. Um, The guy who's taken over for SBF at FTX um, has asked that all these political outfits, whether individual politician or their PAC or whatever, uh, that they give the money back or donate it or something. And so they have this big spreadsheet of all of these different senators who, and their packs, who have received money and then what they've done with it. So Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, no response on whether he was given money by SBF, no response on whether or not he's going to give it back or what he's going to do with it. Um, This guy right here, Sheila McCormick or Trephilis McCormick, uh, returned or plans to return. Um, Susan Collins donated the money. Luke Correa donated the money. And it's this whole list. And he's just tracking what these politicians are doing now that they've been asked to give the money back. And some of them haven't done anything. Um, Some of them haven't given any response at all. Some of them have donated. Um, Some of them have given it back. So... I just want to give a shout-out to them. I think this is a great thing, and tracking all of this is really important. Here's another sheet that shows all where all the money went. Um, we're talking about to, to in general, just to general political action committees, $45.5 million was distributed by SBF to PACs between 2020 and 2022. So com they have this running list of what's going on here and who's doing what with that money. If you need, if you're talking with someone about the SBF scandal and the money that went to these politicians, this is a great place to go and get, um, some information on that and to reference that. Last I saw SBF is still out on, um, on bond, uh, And I don't think the judge has made a decision if he's going to change those conditions. I don't think. Now that I'm thinking of it, it has been a few days since I checked. I remember that story going around. Let me check it real quick. Another judge was not happy. I believe we covered that last week on here. Oh, there is something new. 21st. Let's see what these are.
1: Let's see what these are. Um,
0: uh, This is someone writing to say, yeah, this is a person just writing to say, dear judge, you need to, uh, you need to put SBF back in prison. All right. This is from Cohen and Gressler, one of the lawyers. On behalf of our client, SBF, we respectfully submit this letter in response to the court's proposal to appoint an independent technical expert paid for by the defense to advise the court on technical issues concerning SBF's bond or bail conditions. Defense agrees. Defense has already begun to research and contact possible experts. Okay. Okay, so that's what's going on there. Sammy the Squirrel, thank you very much for coffee money. UK Neil, good morning. Thank you for the coffee money. I promise to spend it all on coffee. Okay. This story could just be peculiar. And it flares up right here. We don't hear anything about it for another year or so. And then we get a single press release that says they figured it out and... Uh, Nothing happened. It's all good. Move on. And we'll never know what exactly was going on. But it is, I mean, it's interesting. Sensitive U.S. military emails spill online. A government cloud email server was connected to the internet without a password. The U.S. Department of Defense secured an exposed server on Monday that was spilling internal U.S. military emails to the open internet for the past two weeks, the exposed server was hosted on Microsoft's Azure government cloud for Department of Defense customers. So it's a cloud server from Microsoft. Uh, it's used as servers that are physically separated from other commercial customers and as such can be used to share sensitive but unclassified government data. So we're talking about sensitive but unclassified. The exposed server was part of an internal mailbox system storing about three terabytes of internal military emails, many pertaining to U.S. Special Operations Command or U.S. SOCOM, the military unit tasked with conducting special military operations. But a misconfiguration left the server without a password, allowing anyone on the Internet access to the sensitive mailbox data inside only using a web browser. And just by knowing its IP address. So, if you knew the IP of this mail server, you could type that in, go right to it, and have access to these three terabytes of internal military emails. All right. So, Anurag, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Anurag Sin, a good faith security researcher known for discovering sensitive data that has been inadvertently published online found the exposed server over the weekend and provided details to TechCrunch so we could alert the US government. The server was packed with internal military email messages dating back years, some of which contained sensitive personnel information. One of the exposed files included a completed SF86 questionnaire, which are filed are filled out by federal employees seeking a security clearance and contain highly sensitive personal and health information for vetting individuals before they are cleared to handle classified information. These personnel questionnaires contain a significant amount of background information on security clearance holders valuable to foreign adversaries. In 2015, suspected Chinese hackers stole millions of sensitive background check files of government employees who sought security clearances in a data breach of the U.S. Office of Personnel Management. None of the limited data seen by TechCrunch, the author of this article, appeared to be classified, which would be consistent with US SOCOM civilian network as classified networks are inaccessible from the internet. According to a listing on Shodan, a search engine that crawls the web for exposed systems and databases, the mailbox server was first detected as spilling data on February 8th. It's not clear how the mailbox data became exposed to the public internet, but it's likely due to a misconfiguration caused by human error. Spokesperson for U.S. SOCOM, Ken McGraw, said, quote, we can confirm at this point um, that no one hacked U.S. Special Operations Command's information systems. All right. So. This is pretty odd. Could it be a misconfiguration? Sure. But. It could also very easily be, it could also very easily be a malicious act. Um, someone leaving it without a password so that they could transfer information without actually having to transfer information. Just leave the door unlocked. People can come in, get what they want and get out. Um, Pretty odd. And Ezra Cohen Watnick said, if U.S. SOCOM can't even secure their most basic IT, how are they supposed to successfully conduct complex, irregular warfare against China? In most other services, the civilian secretary via a CIO would be responsible for security oversight. Where is ASD? S O L I C. And he's talking about the assistant secretary of defense for special operations and in low intensity conflict. <clears throat> this guy, Chris Meyer or mayor. Um, so far he hasn't said anything about it. So far he's got nothing to say on this hack, but he's the guy who should be responsible for it. Um, um, be interesting to see if anything comes of that. It's, it's kind of like one of those, it's one of those things where you don't know what exactly it connects to, but you kind of like set it up and like, I'm going to remember that because if we later find out that some personnel were being blackmailed or um, some of that same information winds up in someone else's hands, we might start to understand that it was meant to be left open for people to get the access to it. All right. For some reason
1: this story triggered some people. And I don't know
0: why because it made me laugh. The Georgia grand jury on Trump interference recommends multiple indictments. And people got triggered by this. And what's going on here is that the headline is meant to be clickbait. Both left and right side media do clickbait all the time, every day. And this is a clickbait headline. But what's interesting about this article is that the, the forewoman of the Georgia Grand Jury is this, this lady named Emily Kors. And she's done interviews with the New York Times, the Associated Press, and CNN, maybe others, Um, over the past week, uh, and in those interviews, she's been answering some questions, not, she's not giving away too much, but maybe she is giving away too much, but she said that they recommended indictments of people who they felt lied to the grand jury who committed perjury and they recommended indictments where there was enough evidence to prove that there was perjury. But she also said that when it comes to charges for Trump specifically, you're not going to be shocked. It's not rocket science. Okay. She said, I will tell you that if the judge releases the recommendations, it is not going to be some giant plot twist. You probably have a fair idea of what may be on there. I'm trying very hard to say that delicately. Okay. And so... If you stop there, you might read and say, she's saying that they're going to indict Trump. But if you go just a little bit further down, you learn that the grand jury never heard from Trump directly. And she also says, quote, Trump was not a battle we picked to fight. So I don't think they are going to indict Trump. I think she's trying to say they're not going to indict Trump without saying they're not going to indict Trump and media are running with headlines that try and build up to their audience. Like there's a chance that Trump's going to get indicted. I don't think he will. And I think who she recommended charges against or who the grand jury recommended charges against is probably going to turn out to be lawyers. It's probably going to turn out to be some lawyers that were in between, maybe some names we're not super familiar with. Maybe some some Georgia officials, such as Raffensberger, some others But it's the way I take her comments are that she's trying to tell the media, "Yeah, it's not going to be Trump it, there's no huge plot twist here, I think it's going to be some lower and middle range people who lied about something. The media, of course, is making a really big deal about the grand jury taking a vote on widespread fraud, and they have it right here. We find by unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in Georgia in the 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. The thing is, they weren't presented evidence to that effect. So they did take a vote on it. The grand jury did for some reason, and I maybe the reason why they voted on it will become clear later. But they weren't presented evidence of widespread fraud in Georgia. So why would you expect them to vote anything other than no? We didn't find that they weren't presented evidence with it, but the media is running that around as a, as a victory quote. Don't worry about it. Okay. Music and fiction says Georgia grand jury. Some on the left are speculating that the defense could use the four person's interviews and words in order to get the perjury charges thrown out against those folks. Possibly I haven't seen all of her quotes. Um, What I read in that article from the Hill. I don't think that I don't think that that would amount to that, but um, maybe there are some other quotes that might, that might, that might, they might be able to use to get charges thrown out. All right. This is fake news. I'm just going to go ahead and call it what it is. No, if, ands, or buts. Biden confesses Nord Stream terror attack again in Warsaw. We mobilize to reduce dependence on Russian energy. And it says, Joe Biden once again acknowledged his regime is behind the attack on the Nord Stream Pipeline on September 26, 2022. Quote, Putin thought he could use energy as a weapon, but no, we mobilized and reduced our dependence on Russian energy sources. This is not a confession. That is, he is not, this is not a confessing. He's not confessing to Destroying Nord Stream. I understand how somebody could hear that statement and think it's maybe a hint or something. But what he says is we mobilized and reduced our dependence on Russian energy sources. Um, so just like the headline in that, that Hill article is fake news and it's clickbait, so is this.
1: Okay. We have some
0: Epstein news. Actually, quite a bit, quite a bit of Epstein news. Okay, exclusive. Naming the names. Let me zoom in on this. I know some people like to read along on screen. Exclusive. Naming the names. Final batch of documents containing salacious allegations related to Jeffrey Epstein Associates including Prince Andrew will finally be made public after dozens of John and Jane Doe's agree to unsealing. Final batch containing allegations related to 167 Of Epstein's associates, victims, and employees will finally be unsealed nearly four years after the disgraced financier's death. He's not dead. The material will be made public in the coming months, and the reveal is expected to include information pertaining to at least one public figure. The documents refer to alleged perpetrators or individuals accused of serious wrongdoing, as well as law enforcement officers and prosecutors, according to a declaration filed on Wednesday. That part... It's interesting. I wonder if they're going to, if it has anything to do with the guy, what's his name? Costa. Was it Costa who gave Epstein that sweetheart deal when he was really caught? And, uh, I think it was, I think it was Costa was the prosecutor. All right. Anyway, Prince Andrew, who was accused of having sex with Epstein victim, Virginia Roberts, blah, blah, blah. And Alan Dershowitz are understood to be among the individuals mentioned in the papers. Other high-profile men include Bill Gates, Donald Trump, and Bill Clinton. We all know that whatever's in reference to Donald Trump is going to be fine. nothing worry. Yeah, it's Robert Costa. Jonathan, thank you. Yeah, Robert. Robert Costa. That sounds exactly right. The documents represent the last of the sealed material to be made public as part of a years-long process that has been rumbling through federal court in New York since before Epstein apparently didn't kill himself. In 2019, while awaiting trial for sex trafficking, the material was first filed in a def in a defamation case. Ang 33 says it's Acosta. That might be right, Robert Acosta. I think that's it. Thank you. So this is Virginia Guffrey's case. Blah blah blah. The lawsuit was settled under seal in 2017, but the case material has since been gradually released in batches after numerous requests from media organizations. The remaining documents are now set to be released after dozens of John and Jane Doe's mentioned in papers did not object to their names being public. Thank you. Hey. Okay. Robert's Lawyers, J. Doe. So, supposed to get a bunch of stuff, it's supposed to come out over the next couple months. There have been headlines like this before, though, where. We've been told it's finally unsealed, we're going to get everything, and then we don't. So, I wouldn't bet a bunch of money on this right now, but it seems like we're going to get a bunch of stuff. Um, We've gotten some more stuff out of the J.P. Morgan lawsuit, Um. Some interesting emails. More than 20 of Jeffrey Epstein's sex trafficking victims were paid through JP Morgan accounts as the mega bank's former top executives privately discussed abuse allegations surrounding the late predator as far back as 2006. Newly unsealed passages of a federal lawsuit reveal. Quote, these women were trafficked and abused during different intervals between at least 2003 and July 2019. When Epstein was arrested and jailed and these women received payments, typically multiple payments between 2003 and 2013, in excess of a million dollars collectively. Epstein also withdrew more than $775,000 in cash over that time frame from J.P. Morgan accounts, especially significant as Epstein was known to pay for massages or sexual encounters in cash. Those accusations and others were previously hidden under redactions, when the Virgin Islands government filed its lawsuit, remember that one? Remember that Virgin Islands lawsuit that the prosecutor there got fired over, but it's it's still going. Um, I think it was the prosecutor, maybe it was the attorney general got fired over. Since the Virgin Islands, more than $100 million settlement in the Epstein estate, on Wednesday afternoon, the Virgin Islands government unsealed more of their lawsuit, signaling that they say their investigation uncovered. The less redacted complaint states that J.P. Morgan not only knew about Epstein, but also his fellow accused predator, French modeling scout Jean-Luc Brunel, the owner of the MC2 modeling company. Financial information also reflects payments drawn from J.P. Morgan accounts of nearly $1.5 million to known recruiters, including to the MC2 modeling agency, and another $150,000 to a private investigative firm. As early as 2006, JP Morgan's Global Corporate Security Division flagged several newspapers. Sorry, I forgot to zoom in on this one. Um, Flagged several newspapers that detail the indictment of Jeffrey Epstein in Florida on felony charges of soliciting um, underage prostitutes. Epstein later entered into a non prosecution agreement, allowing him to serve a light, widely criticized sentence predating his. That's the one that we're. We were just referring to his sweetheart deal. Some four years later in an internal email, JP Morgan's risk management division discussed fresh allegations against Epstein quote, see below new allegations of an investigation related to child trafficking. Are you still comfortable with this client who is now a registered sex offender? In my short tenure working on the account, these stories pop up, including these from the summer A JP Morgan employee responded. The unsealed passages also discussed Epstein's close personal relationship to J.P. Morgan's then senior executive, Jess Staley, who later became CEO of Barclays and resigned amid scrutiny over his ties to Epstein. Quote, between 2008 and 2012, Staley exchanged approximately 1,200 emails with Epstein. So that's. Hundreds per year. Hundreds of emails per year with Epstein. These communications show a close personal relationship and profound friendship between the two men and even suggest that Staley may have been involved in Epstein's sex trafficking operation. The Virgin Islands claims that Staley apparently sent one of those emails from Epstein's Little St. James on November 1st, 2009 when Epstein was incarcerated in Florida. So... While Epstein is incarcerated in Florida, Jess Staley, senior executive of J.P. Morgan, is staying at Little St. James. Quote, so when all hell breaks loose and the world is crumbling, I will come here and be at peace, the email said, according to the lawsuit. Presently, I'm in the hot tub with a glass of white wine. This is an amazing place. Truly amazing. Next time we're here together, I owe you much, and I deeply appreciate our friendship. I have so, I have few so profound. The Virgin Islands say that Staley followed up a month later with the message, quote, I realize the danger in sending this email, but it was great to be able today to give you in New York City a long, heartfelt hug. That December, Epstein allegedly sent Staley a photograph of a young woman whose image is redacted from the lawsuit. In 2021, reports emerged that emails included mysterious messages about Snow White. That exchange is quoted in the unredacted lawsuit. In July 2010, Staley sent an email to Epstein saying, quote, Maybe they're tracking you. That was fun. Say hi to Snow White. What character would you like next? Epstein is quoted responding. Staley answered Beauty and the Beast, and Epstein replied, Well, one side is available.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's more Epstein news. Judge
0: allows Les Wexner subpoena by mail in Jeffrey Epstein lawsuit. The U.S. Virgin Islands has been granted permission to mail a subpoena to the former Victoria's Secret boss Les Wexner over his ties to the late late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein after a security guard allegedly prevented the billionaire from being served at his home. They've tried to serve this guy a number of times. And so they're just going to be allowed to mail it. A New York judge issued the order on Tuesday after the U S Virgin Islands said it had been frustrated in seeking documents from Wexner as part of the civil suit against JP Morgan chase. The U S Virgin Islands said it had t- tried to serve Wexner in person at his home in Ohio on February 8th and February 11th, as well as at his charitable foundation of which Epstein was once a trustee, but was blocked from doing so on all occasions. The territory has accused the U.S. Bank of knowingly, recklessly, and unlawfully facilitating human trafficking by failing to block transactions to Epstein's victims as well as recruiters for the convicted sex offender. They also alleged the bank allowed money from accounts belonging to Epstein purported charitable organizations, including one called Enhanced Education, to be transferred for non-charitable purposes. Epstein and or his representatives used the Enhanced Education Fund to pay $124,000 to Leslie Wexner. Wexner was Epstein's only known client for decades and even gave Epstein control of his personal finances and power of attorney. These two are really close. He has since said he was embarrassed by his connection to Epstein and accused his former friend of misappropriating vast sums of money. Wexler relinquished his dual roles as chief executive and chair of L brands and then owner of Victoria's secret in 2020, a partially unredacted complaint by us. Virgin islands filed last week, which is what we were talking about in the last one uh, mentions. Jess Staley, blah blah blah, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So lots of Epstein news. This is awesome. Going after the money is how you get these guys. Going after JP Morgan Chase, how you get these guys. Um, also, this this morning, I just saw it before I went live. Arkansas cops rule suicide in death of Clinton aide linked to Jeffrey Epstein. This is the guy who was found shot and tied to a tree with an electrical cord around his neck. Um, and there's no weapon I'm like. All right. You can't make this up. The, the grizzly scene where a top Bill Clinton advisor was found hanged from a tree with a gunshot wound to his chest has finally been revealed nine months after he died. But the sheriff's report into Mark Middleton's mysterious death raises more questions than answers as it is ruled he died by suicide. Despite no sign of the weapon that killed him. Middleton 59 was found dead last May at the Heifer Ranch in Perryville, Arkansas, an hour west of Little Rock. Release of the report was held up after family members petitioned the judge. They were worried that pictures from the gory scene would be made public. The judge eventually ruled that details could be released, but photographs could not. Okay.
1: This is apparently an image of the ranch.
0: The report... Written by Perry County Sheriff's Deputy Jeremy Lawson says he was called to the ranch by worker Samantha McElroy, who had found Middleton's abandoned black BMW SUV. McElroy then walked around a cottage on the ranch. Almost immediately after stepping around the corner of the cottage, she started yelling. Upon reaching the back of the cottage, she pointed towards the rear of the property and asked if that was a person. I could see what at first appeared to be a man sitting near a tree. As my eyes focused better, I could see a rope of some type going from the tree limb to the male. I could see that he had a gunshot wound to his chest and that he had a knot tied in an extension cord that was around his neck His neck and it was attached to the limb directly above him. The deputy said a search of Middleton's vehicle turned up three boxes of buckshot in a gun case, but no weapon. The details give fresh insight into the death of Middleton, a married father of two. Okay. I remember this death. I remember him being found dead last year. Um, Mark Edward Middleton of Little Rock. Hey, I know all that about Epstein going to what's his connection to Epstein. What's this? What's Middleton's connection to Epstein? Hey, Middleton was a special advisor to Bill Clinton in the 1990s and signed Jeffrey Epstein into the white house on seven of the 17 times the late pedophile visited. Okay. That's his connection. Middleton also flew on Epstein's jet, the Lolita, Lolita express More recently, he had been working for his family's HVAC business in Little Rock. According to the Arkansas Times, Milton's family said he was suffering from depression. White House visitor logs showed that he appears as the authorizing signatory on seven of Epstein's White House visits, most of which were to the West Wing. In addition to being a special assistant to the president, Middleton was also assistant to the chief of staff, Thomas Mack McLarty. Middleton left the White House in February of 95 and was accused of setting himself up as an international dealmaker, exactly the kind of person that would appeal to Epstein. 96 in 96, an investigation by the White House found that Middleton had abused his access to impress business clients. Da, da, da. He denied it. Even the Daily Mail is like, a number of Clinton's former associates have died over the years in unexpected circumstances. <laughs> oh, dude. Dude. Is Karma Patriot in the chat this morning? Karma. Karma. you got. What are y'all going to do about your state? Huh? What? There she is. There's karma. 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 What are you? What are you? What is going on in your state? (laughs) Come on now. Okay. This is this is the police. The statement by the deputy sheriff Jeremy Lawson. Um, but we already read the key quotes of it.
1: Dude. Is this...
0: All right. So, oh, I need to sign in. Hold up. Hold up. I want to show you all this. I want to present you all this Technofog article because... Uh, Like I said, there's going to be. Supposedly, we're going to get a whole bunch of stuff. From the uh, Epstein Epstein court filings that have previously been sealed. Um,
1: Technofog has this really good article about it. Hold on just a moment. Okay, got it.
0: Jeffrey Epstein update about those John Does. Um, By the way, there were at the news that there was going to be a bunch of stuff unsealed. There was a whole bunch of fake news and old stuff being circulated around. Uh, Just people trying to get clicks. It was old stuff and uh, or fake. There was, I saw both. All right, so from Tech... Technofog, we have word from the FBI. They will provide us with their interviews of Jeffrey Epstein in the next couple months. Boom. Boom. Technofog is going to get access to Jeffrey Epstein interviews with the FBI. Here's the FBI's representation. Quote, FBI has completed its search for documents responsive to plaintiff's FOIA request and anticipates beginning to produce any non-exempt documents responsive to plaintiff's request as early as April of 2023. FBI anticipates only one production of documents instead of rolling productions due to the relatively limited number of responsive documents. So it's not going to be a whole hell of a lot, but it is going to be something. There's a ton of unanswered questions about Epstein's involvement with the FBI. And we hope that these records provide some answers. The FBI has fought the disclosure of these records necessitating the filing of our lawsuit, a lawsuit which was possible through your support. So thank you for that. We won't over promise or guarantee what these documents might reveal until we get our hands on the documents. There are still a ton of questions such as, will the FBI improperly redact the interviews or will the FBI refuse to release all of their Epstein interviews? We'll see. Now on the Epstein, Maxwell, John does. There's more on the Epstein front. A federal judge in New York Southern district is considering considering Um, Whether to disclose the names of the John Doe's arising out of the Virginia Guffrey versus Ghislaine Maxwell case. Here's the list she's reviewing. I'm going to open that and look at it later. Um, That reminds me. I just want to make this comment real quick about this lawsuit. Last I checked, Virginia Guffrey is rep. One of her lawyers is an ex-Clinton lawyer. Um. I'm trying to remember what, who, what his name is right now. And I can't remember it. Um,
1: let me find it real quick. Cause it's a, it's a Clintonite. Who, who is, who is it? Uh, who is their attorney in that lawsuit? Trying to remember who it is. Um, That's from Miss Guffrey. I should have looked this up before because I've forgotten the name. I'll look again later.
0: Anyway, it's one of the reasons why I haven't I haven't ever put a whole lot of confidence in uh Virginia's case cuz of who one of her lawyers is. But hopefully I'll be proven wrong. It looks like I will be proven wrong and that I should have put more credibility into the case. Anyway, back to TechnoFok. Sadly, reporting from the media has created a lot of false hope about whose names might be unsealed. I have to break the unfortunate news. This isn't Epstein's list. Let me lay out the facts of what we do know about these individuals. Here's the breakdown. There are approximately 165 John Doe's. These are not all perpetrators. The vast majority are witnesses of varying degrees, meaning material or immaterial. Employees of Epstein or affiliates of Epstein or the victims. The term affiliate ranges from those in Epstein's address book to the doctors or acquaintances of the victims. So we're not getting 165 names like 165 customers of Epstein. OK, 165, you know, criminals were it's everybody with a name that has been used in court proceedings, material or immaterial. The majority of the John Doe's, nearly 100 of them, have already been identified, whether through the media or court proceedings. Many of the unidentified John Doe's are immaterial to the allegations against Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. The roles of some are unknown. Some are only referenced in passing, such as a deposition question where the deponent denies knowing the individual. For many others, the nature of the information relating to them is not salacious. There are approximately 67 John Doe's that remain unidentified. Of that number, around 11 are listed as potential victims. By my count, there are two alleged perpetrators who have yet to be identified. John Doe 58 and John Doe 94. More on them below. There are two other John Doe's of interest. John Doe, 86, is an alleged Epstein affiliate. Some material related to them is salacious. John Doe, 113, is an alleged um, Epstein affiliate and alleged witness. This individual is alleged to have engaged in serious wrongdoing. Counsel for Maxwell maintains John Doe, 113, is referenced in a, quote, hearsay statement that the name appears in Epstein's address book. Here are the alleged perpetrators who are yet to be identified. John Doe, 58, he's described as alleged witness affiliate, alleged perpetrator. John Doe, 58, is referenced in a letter submitted by counsel for Professor Alan Dershowitz. We suspect his identity may be disclosed in these quotes from the emails of Sarah Ransom. Quotes, my friend had sexual intercourse with, redacted. Sex tapes were, in fact, filmed on each separate occasion. I eventually managed to persuade her to send me some of the video footage, which she kept, implicating all all three and all men. I have backed up the footage on several USB sticks and have securely sent them to various different locations throughout Europe. Another quote. Another friend was one of the many girls that had sexual relations with Redacted. She confided in me about her casual friendship with Redacted. Redacted definitely seemed to have a thing for her. And she told me how he kept going on about how he liked her, etc. Redacted liked things that I'm not going to read aloud on the show. One evening when we were showering together, she showed me things. They looked incredibly, etc., Not going to turn this show into, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can go and read the article. John Doe, 94, identified as alleged victim affiliate, alleged perpetrator. John Doe, 94, is discussed in the deposition of victim to Virginia Guffrey. The excerpts from her deposition are docket entry 235-4, filed with the court are, are nearly 90 pages. There's a significant amount of redactions and a number of alleged perpetrators, both relating to Epstein and Maxwell, And not having anything to do with Epstein-Maxwell within Jeffrey's deposition. This makes it difficult to pinpoint the exact claims against John Doe 94. In fact, it's entirely possible that John Doe 94 doesn't have to do, doesn't have anything to do with Epstein or Maxwell. However, if we were to focus on Epstein-Maxwell connection, here are two different allegations, either of which might relate to John Doe 94. Okay. Where did you meet him? I believe it was in New Mexico, possibly New Mexico. I'm sorry. It's really hard to go back and remember lots of different events with lots of different people. Okay. And is that the only foreign president that you have met? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up, (laughs) back up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is from questions going back and forth. Okay. Where did you meet him? I believe it was New Mexico. Question, New Mexico? Answer, possibly New Mexico. I'm sorry. It's really hard to go back and remember lots of different, lots of events, lots of different people. Question: Okay, and is that the only foreign president that you have met? What foreign president are we talking about? Going to Epstein's ranch in New Mexico? Whoa! Answer: I've met a lot of high, a very high, powerful people. And I wasn't just introduced to them as who they were. It's only going back through photos and time to be able to realize who they are and what they are now. So it's hard for me to dis- distinguish who I've actually met and when and where I've met them. Question. So to your knowledge, you have only met one foreign president. To my knowledge at this time, yes. And is there anything that might change your knowledge at a different time? Answer, if I were to see more photos of other people, I mean, I've been able to distinguish the majority of the people I've been lent out to, but who's to say there's not more? All right. And if I were to ask you a question, how many times have you had sex with Redacted? Do you know what that question means? Answer, I believe so. Question, all right. And what is the answer to that one? Answer, I believe I was with Redacted once. Interesting. It, dude, Bill Clinton fits right there in those blocks. Like, it really looks like Bill Clinton would feel fit in these redactions right here. But he's not a foreign president. Um, of course, it doesn't mean they're asking about a foreign president right there. He, The question could be about a, a domestic one. All right. Guffrey describing a foreign president she met in New Mexico. Okay, here's another one. With Ghislaine Maxwell at his hotel room overlooking the Champs-Élysées, Bef, answer, before she picked up the redhead. Question, and was that just you and Ghislaine, or was anyone else participant in that? Jeffrey and Redacted. And where else in France did you have sexual contact with Ghislaine Maxwell? Answer, the south of France. Where? I wouldn't call it so much a hotel. I don't know what you'd call it. It had like big townhouse kind of things that you had you could rent out. Was this on the same trip or a different one? A different one. Okay, and who else was present for that? Well, we were going to redacted's birthday party. It wasn't at the birthday party. Right, and it was before it was before the birthday party. Okay? This isn't to say that we won't learn anything back to TechnoFog. This isn't to say that we won't learn anything about those whose names have already been publicized. We anticipate that there may be new and important information or information that provides additional context about some of the alleged perpetrators of which the John Doe log list approximately 17. Dasting. This includes Sarah Kellen, wife of NASCAR driver or former NASCAR driver. What is his name? Was it Ryan Vickers, I think? Um, I could be wrong on that, but she's the wife of a NASCAR driver who is alleged to have taken up part in Epstein's abuse scheme and will be disclosing all the relevant names and, names and providing details of their involvement once they're released. So, I think Technofog is going to be the place to go for some of this stuff because Epstein news is people are quick to hype it up. Um, and I mean, it is something to get hyped up hyped about. I am excited about it, but it's um there's a lot of stuff that is already known. And I've seen a lot of people hyping up specifically that we're going to get all these names and there's 160 something John Doe's and all of this. But. Like Technofog is saying there, hey, make sure you understand that that doesn't mean that all 160 something of them are perpetrators, that they're all criminals, that they're all they all engaged in some um, criminal activity. They are people who have been referenced in some way at some point um in the proceedings they, they're associates in some way but it doesn't mean that they, yeah it's Brian Vickers yeah cuz she's Sarah Vickers right here okay i want to see who was guffrey's attorney that i was thinking of bradley edwards john pottinger schultz
1: is it pottinger
0: Edwards Paulinger, let's see, is it John Pottinger? I want to say it, it might be John Pottinger is an ex-Clinton associate. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. And it might be, it actually might be a different uh, lawsuit that he was
1: her attorney with.
0: No, that's a different Pottinger. Wait a minute. Okay, this is John Stanley Pottinger. Are he related to Matt Pottinger? Oh, man. He's the dad of Matthew Pottinger, who served in the Trump administration as Deputy National Security Advisor. Oh, my gosh. He also dated Gloria Steinem. Okay, this is not the one who was an associate. Okay, Pottinger is representing more than 20 survivors of Jeffrey Epstein abuse. It's not Pottinger.
1: Dastink. Dastink. Oh, I think it's this one.
0: I think it might be boys. That I think that's it. Hold on just a moment. I think it's this guy Boy's. David Boys, I think I think it's him.
1: Yes, he's represented.
0: Okay. He represented Al Gore and Bush V. Gore. He's also represented the Rano's, tobacco companies, Harvey Weinstein, and the Epstein victims.
1: Yeah, it's this guy who I was thinking
0: of. I'm pretty dang sure. But I was thinking he had represented, he had worked with Clinton on something at some point. No, it doesn't mention Clinton here. Okay. I think it's, I think it's him, but I thought he had, I thought he had worked for Bill Clinton at some point.
1: Okay. I want to move this over here. All right. I, I missed a, uh, a rumble rant somewhere.
0: Brogent, good morning. You say, Kyle is taking Friday off. There's a big F1 event on Friday. Kyle isn't taking Friday off for F1. <laughs> Patrick Gunnell's quote, that's an aff- affirming the consequence fallacy. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, No, it, lit- it literally is true that I'm going to be on dad duty. Uh like all Thursday and well until I think my wife comes back like Friday night. I think she gets back. Um, so a short trip out of town, but there's a school event on Thursday that I got to go to. So my time will be occupied. All right. It is ten thirty.
1: I kind of need some more coffee. Okay. Um Let's keep let's keep going. Let's keep going.
0: I just want to mention this real quick. So, I don't want to get into the balloon topic cuz I am tired of it. But This is too funny. An Illinois-based amateur balloonist club has announced that one of their small balloons is missing in action. And they fear it was shot down by the U.S. Air Force. Its last reported location was in Alaska on Saturday. And the U.S. Air Force claims to have shot down an unidentified object in the same region at around the same time. The group, the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, I am not lying. The Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade announced in in a blog post saying that the 32-inch wide Pico balloon had been airborne for more than four months and had circled the globe seven times before going down in Alaska The group did not blame the U.S. Air Force in the post, but we've got, there's a, there's a, (laughs) it's dasting, North American Aerospace Defense Command NORAD deferred questions to the National Security Council for identification of the objects and had no additional information according to a spokesperson uh, for U.S. Command The possibility that this recreational balloon could be one of the three unidentified objects shot down by the U.S. military was first reported on Thursday by Aviation Week. Earlier in the day, President Biden delivered his first public remarks on the topic and acknowledged that, quote, the intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation, or research institutions. They know they know they just shut they just shot down the uh the the northern Illinois bottle cap balloon brigades balloon. they know it, don't they? Circumstantial evidence is intriguing here. the club's silver coated party style Pico balloon reported its last position on February tenth at thirty eight thousand nine hundred and ten feet off the west coast of Alaska and a popular forecasting tool, the high split model provided by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, projected the cylindrically shaped object would be floating high over central part of Yukon Territory on February 11th. That is the same day a Lockheed Martin F-22 shot down an unidentified object of a similar description and altitude in the same general area. There are... Suspicions, among other prominent members of the small Pico ballooning enthusiast community, which combines ham radio and high altitude ballooning into a single relatively affordable hobby. Quote, I tried contacting our military and the FBI and just got the runaround to try to enlighten them on what a lot of these things probably are. And they're going to look not too intelligent to be shooting them down, says Ron Meadows, the founder of the Scientific Balloon Solutions, a Silicon Valley company that makes purpose-built Pico balloons for hobbyists, educators, and scientists. The descriptions of all three unidentified objects shot down February 10th through 12th match the shapes, altitudes, and payloads of the small Pico balloons, which can usually be purchased for $12 to $180 each, depending on the type. So, folks... It is possible that the U.S. military put an aircraft in the air which cost tens of thousands of dollars per hour to fly and used a half-million-dollar missile to shoot down a $200 balloon. Oh, their site is down. Oh, no. I was going to check their blog post, but it's down. Let me – Okay. Can I just look at their site just in general? Just the not the blog, but just the dot com. Nope. Nope, it's down. Okay. Oh no, did they shoot their website down too?
1: Okay. Now I'm
0: going to trigger everybody. Now, now I'm just going to trigger everybody, Apparently, apparently, because the reactions to me sharing this article yesterday were fairly negative, and it surprised me a bit, but whatever.
1: So this is the understanding is greater than reacting segment for sure.
0: We learned on Monday that... Kevin McCarthy has made an arrangement with Tucker Carlson to give him a whole bunch of Jan 6 footage, apparently thousands of hours of January 6 footage. Okay, But it's not as simple as Kevin McCarthy. Giving Tucker Carlson some drives with all that footage and saying, here, do with it what you want. It's not as simple as that. Speaker McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy's apparent deal to grant Tucker Carlson access to thousands of hours of Capitol security footage from January 6th, 2021, came as a surprise to at least one official with oversight responsibility over those files. That would be Capitol Police Chief Thomas Manger. A person familiar with the matter said Manger told associates he didn't learn of the arrangement between McCarthy and Carlson until it began publicly circulating Monday. That doesn't sound... That doesn't sound too good. Um, Capitol police have been extremely reluctant to share large swaths of their security footage, citing potential risk to lawmakers, aides, and officers tasked with protecting the building. House Sergeant at Arms, William McFarland, also told associates he learned about it around the same time Axios broke the news Monday. So neither the Sergeant at Arms or the... um. Capitol Police chief were made aware of this arrangement between McCarthy and Tucker Carlson before it became news. And that's that's not good, guys. McCarthy has not yet commented on the arrangement with the Fox News host, and it's not clear precisely what Carlson is able to access or how. On his Monday show, Carlson described his producer's access as unfettered and said they'd already been reviewing material for a week and that they plan to continue for another few days before revealing their findings next week. Any move to send Carlson or his associates those video files may require approval from from the Capitol Police Board, a three-member panel that makes security decisions for the complex. The board consists of McFarland, Senate Sergeant at Arms Karen Gibson, and the architect of the Capitol. Manger is a non-voting member of the board. It's unclear whether Carlson will be able to air any excerpts of the footage on his show. But the deal itself alarmed Democrats who said Carlson, who routinely misrepresents and downplays aspects of January 6th, blah, 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 was a galling choice for his private arrangement. Dems are pissed about this, and we can understand why. Uh, The Dems are trying to block it. Hakeem Jeffries has sent a letter um, saying that it represents an an egregious breach of security and all this kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, they're upset. Meanwhile, this is also good news. It's good news that McCarthy made this arrangement with Tucker. Like, that's totally good news. It is. It's also good news that Republicans have the same level of access as the Jan Six committee. So... All the representatives in the House, they're able to go and review this footage too. Doesn't mean they're able to take it and show it to everybody, to publish it, but they're able to review the footage as well. That's excellent. The department has granted access, which included a dedicated terminal for lawmakers to review footage. Republicans on the panel are in discussion about investigating the security decisions on the day, blah, blah, blah. That's the House Administration Committee, by the way. Now, how it was handled in the past, two people familiar with the January Select Committee's access said the Capitol Police were extensively engaged in protecting the footage, often steering the panel away from using certain camera angles and limiting the length of footage the panel ultimately used during its public hearings. The panel had access to footage from late December 2020 through mid-January 2021. Quotes, the department reviewed every single second or every second of video prior to its public display and worked with the committee and the committee worked with the department to provide accommodation of their reasonable concerns. There's no indication McCarthy or Carlson planned such a wide release of footage And dozens, if not hundreds of hours have already been released via court filings in January 6th cases. The Capitol police are notoriously restrictive or notoriously secretive particularly about security footage, a position that has not found much support among federal judges who have routinely ordered clips released in hundreds of January 6th prosecutions. Federal investigators have pushed for access to more videos so they can identify additional perpetrators. Now people got like, I'm only judging it by the reaction I got. So The reaction I got online in sharing this article and pointing out that, hey, Tucker doesn't actually possess this footage. He's being allowed to access it and review it. But there's additional steps that he's going to have to go through, it seems, if he wants to air this footage on his show. My point was simply to say that, that we might see a battle here between Carlson McCarthy, the police board, and them trying to get permission to release this footage. And it makes total sense. This is security camera footage. And in releasing security camera footage, you're also releasing intel about your security, um, your security of the building, your ability to use these cameras. Whenever you get released security camera footage, you're also releasing the location of the security camera. You're releasing the scope of the security camera, what it can and cannot see. You're releasing the resolution of the camera, um, all of those things, which means you're also telling someone what the camera cannot see. So it's a security concern, and it's perfectly understandable why the Capitol Police would be like, I don't want to release all of this footage because it would people would be able to figure out where there were security gaps at, at the Capitol. Just like you wouldn't want to release all of your security camera footage from your home or your business because a criminal could look at it and say, oh, at their business or their home, they don't have a camera covering these areas of the house or it, the camera can only see this far um, etc. So that's the, from the, from the police, it's perfectly understandable why they don't want all of this footage just published online. It's also understandable why people would want all the footage published online so that we can go through it and figure out what happened that day and who's lying about what um, and who's telling the truth about what a bunch of this footage has already been published. A lot of it has, and it's being published. More new stuff is coming out all the time because of these January 6th court cases. Uh, Someone got mad at me yesterday on True Social and told me I was a liar. I'm not a liar. It is true that the January 6th defendants have access to this footage. Their lawyers can go and look at this footage and watch what their client did that day. And then they can have a judge order that footage be made available to them to use in court, which is how so much of this footage is being published and where you're seeing new stuff all the time. It's because it's coming out in these court cases, which is good. It's all good stuff, but it seems to me that we're headed for a little bit of a battle here potentially between McCarthy and Carlson and the police board and seeing that the Capitol police chief and the house sergeant at arms weren't made aware of this arrangement between McCarthy and Carlson before it became news. I think that's a bad look. I don't think that's a good start. I think they probably should have been made aware Before it became public. And that may be Tucker Carlson's fault. And most likely it is. Most likely Tucker Carlson. Jumped the gun on making it public. Right. They should have. They should have conferred with the people. Who are ultimately going to be able to vote. On whether or not he gets to publish. That stuff. So. Yeah. Um. It's not fake news that he has access, but it is fake news that he has, as in he possesses the January 6th footage. He doesn't. Now, Dems are big mad about it, and that's a great sign. Whispers in Dementia mentioned these two tweets right here. Adam Schiff tweeted out Kevin McCarthy turned over Jan Six videos to right-wing propagandist Tucker Carlson. See, even Adam Schiff is incorrect. He didn't turn it over. He gave access. A man who spews Kremlin talking points suggests January 6th with a false flag and spreads a big lie. Make no mistake, this isn't about transparency. It's about fueling dangerous conspiracy theories. Rep Raskin says McCarthy giving 40,000 hours. It's not 40,000 hours. It's 14,000. McCarthy giving 14,000 hours of January 6th taped to a pro-Putin jur- journalist is an astounding ethical collapse What security precautions were taken to keep this from becoming a roadmap for a 2024 insurrection? Why isn't it available to all media and public? Smell the MAGA propaganda coming. And Whispers in Dementia cleverly wonders, are they going to get a bunch of former IC officials to write a letter about this? It's good to see how scared these people are. Of Tucker Carlson just being able to look at this stuff. All right. Since I'm already on the subject. Of January 6th. I might as well tackle another piece of fake news that went around. Recently. So I saw a lot of fake news. A lot of hot takes. That. That the Proud Boys 1776 document, which is the key piece of evidence that the government has that they are using in prosecuting the Proud Boys for their role in January 6th. I saw a bunch of fake news that this document was written by the FBI and therefore it's a plant. And therefore the Proud Boys were entrapped. um, It's all crooked, all this stuff. And I'm afraid that is not accurate. Um, What's going on is that the defense team for the Proud Boys has alleged that the 1776 document that the government has was actually written by the FBI or associates and therefore should be thrown out. Basically they planted it. They gave him this document and then they wrote it for him or for the proud boys. They gave it to the proud boys. And then now the government is using that as evidence against the proud boys. So they're like, they planted this plan on the proud boys, but that is not accurate. That is not accurate. I understand why the defense team is making that effort. They're trying to win the case. Um, like a good lawyer should, but this document, what's going on is that this guy, Samuel arms was interviewed by the January select committee way months ago. And what he said in his interview is that he helped author the, the document titled 1776 returns. And that what he did was he came up with some of the ideas after wargaming, um, having a wargaming session, and that he was inspired by the, uh, what was it, the, uh, not Transition Integrity Project, maybe it was the Transition Integrity Project, um, but he was into this, he, he was inspired by what the left was doing. This is the 1776 Returns document right here. He was inspired by what the left had been doing, and he wanted to counter it by coming up with their own plan of how to, well, commit an insurrection, because that's what the Proud Boys did. Um, the Proud Boys committed an insurrection against the Trump administration. Um, so anyway, he helped he helped author the ideas. He said he helped formulate some of the ideas that are the document relied on. But he didn't write this whole document here. He wargamed some of the ideas that are in this document. He gave it to this girl who Enrique Tario, the Proud Boys chair, was dating or had some relationship with. And then she gave it to Enrique Tario, And then the Proud Boys turned it into the 1776 Returns document. The fake news is taking a piece of Samuel Arm's testimony in which he says, let me see, is the transcript right here?
1: Oh, it says no longer standing.
0: No longer standing. They move the records. Um, they're taking a piece of what he said. Where he he de- he described this is so silly. He described being groomed to join the FBI or CIA when he was in college. That he was groomed to do those things, and then, but he didn't join the FBI. Um, he just said he was groomed to join them, but he ended up working for the State Department a little bit, and then he does crypto. Um, he's really into crypto. No, it's not this guy. It's the wrong guy. Um, I wanted to find the recent article on him. This guy also bragged during about his, his, uh, bench press or his deadlift. Or something like that during his January 6th commute. He came off to me in the transcript like a meathead, honestly. Um, Arms confirmed that he had met with Tario, but denied authoring the 1776 returns document, a nine page plan on what they were going to do on January 6th. The goal according to Domivovola. Arn said that an associate of his in the crypto world, Erica Flores and Tario, who knew each other, were trying to get me to help him figure out a way to make money off of selling t-shirts online. And they wanted me to like brainstorm with them, like t-shirt ideas and setting up some kind of warehouse in Miami to help underserved kids. He added that he drafted his own three to five page document, which he had shared with Flores claiming that he used his political science background to play out a, quote, war gaming scenario in case there was not a peaceful transition between the administrations of Trump to Biden. He acknowledged in the interview with the committee that elements of his plan were used in the lengthier 1776 returns document he was shown. Quote, I ended up sharing it with her on a Google Drive. He told the committee referencing Flores, and after that, I thought nothing of it. I would have never imagined that it turned into the document that I was shown last week. Would have had zero clue, zero idea. It's horrific for me to even imagine. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. I wanted to see. Does it, does it have the, uh, see this, this is a PDF. Nope. It's still, it's gone from right here. Remember, I remember that they gave access for a while and then they took it down. Let me search his name with something
1: else. Because
0: um, what I want to show you guys is that he, his comments on being groomed, which is a weird way to say it, but that's what he said. Um, is he? Those have some of the quotes. Okay. So this is the guy. That's Samuel Arms. Flores told the committee that. Arms said that he was being groomed by the FBI and CIA while in school. Told her to pass the insurrection document to Enrique Tarrio. During testimony. There we go. Here's here's part of his testimony. This is what I wanted. I went to the University of South Florida. This is ARMS speaking. I got a degree in international finance, economics, and intel studies, which was part of a program at USF. I was being groomed to work for the CIA and the FBI. Did you ever end up working for those agencies? Not formally, but I've done work for the State Department and for United States Special Operations Command out of McDill Air Force Base, which is in Tampa. So when I was at USF, I was being groomed to be in the CIA, FBI, or any intel agencies. A lot of what we did was wargaming exercises. Are you familiar with those? Yes. So I would often go through day courses where we would wargame different scenarios as part of my college education. And that actually is partially what served me at SOCOM. Okay, and just a quick clarification, when you say you were getting groomed to be part of CIA, FBI, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I don't know what a better term would be, but how about trained? Yeah, trained. I guess trained is a good word for it. I was being educated. Trained and educated through the university program. Okay. Saying that you were being trained and educated to join them, but you never did join them. You did some kind of work for the State Department, but it wasn't, and then you did some kind of work for the United States Special Operations Command. None of those things make this guy CIA or FBI. And none of those things make it so that him wargaming some ideas in a three to five page document, which gets handed over to Enrique Tarrio, which ideas within it then become this nine-page document, none of that changes the fact that the Proud Boys went to the Capitol on January 6th and engaged in a plan to interrupt the county of electors and interrupt the objections and to do all the things they did. This... I feel really strongly about this because this plan is part of the reason that January 6th happened. This may this is one of the key reasons why January 6th became what it became. These guys did these guys ended up working right into the deep states plans. And this plan right here is something I cannot stand by, and I don't know how anybody can defend it. Their plan, these, okay, the Proud Boys in this document right here are the reason there are well meaning MAGA people who have been prosecuted or are going to be prosecuted and put into jail for trespassing and for interrupting a joint session of Congress. Because these people came up with a plan where they specifically wanted to get at least 50 innocent MAGA people into these office buildings in order to occupy them and hold those people hostage. We need many people as possible inside these buildings. These are our buildings. They are just renting space. We must show our politicians we the people are in charge. And then they targeted all of these buildings. They came up with all of these plans of how they were going to do this. They researched the tunnels that ran under D.C. and where politicians would escape where the exits of the tunnels were that led out of the Capitol because they wanted to then they wanted to capture and basically arrest or kidnap is a better term for it politicians and hold them hostage. Like I know people on the right, you don't want to, you don't want to call it an insurrection because it feels like you're, you're agreeing with the media and the Democrats when you call it an insurrection But it was. It was an insurrection against the Trump administration. And people want to talk about how there was no violence that day or the only violence was against Ashley Babbitt. That's not true. There was violence that day. There were Oath Keepers and Proud Boys who committed violence against police officers. And in my opinion, committed violence against MAGA Patriots who were just there, well meaning, had no idea this plan existed or that they were vi- going to be victims of it. They commit these groups, like Proud Boys, committed violence against the MAGA patriots who are now being prosecuted or put in prison for trespassing and interrupting a joint session of Congress. There was violence that day. There was violence against MAGA. There was violence against police officers. There was violence by police officers against MAGA. And there was violence by Oath Keepers and Proud Boys against police officers. And there was some Antifa there, too. That's right, HQ Lion. And there were some Ukrainians there, too. And honestly, honestly, guys, it it bothers me that our side, our community, and uh, most of the media on the right... Is so quick to look for any excuse to protect the oath keepers and the Proud Boys and act as if they are victims. Act as if just because, oh, there was a Fed in this group or there was an informant in this group, that means that these guys didn't do what they did.
1: They did. They committed these crimes.
0: I don't, I don't, uh, MAGA needs to, in my opinion, MAGA needs to get over this reluctance to admit how violent January 6th was. They need to get over it and accept that it was violent. And they need to accept that it was an insurrection and understand that it was an insurrection against the Trump administration. It was not a good day. Admitting those things doesn't mean that you give in to the left's narrative about it. But I feel like everybody's been programmed to where it's like we can't accept anything about it because I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really get it. Um, I'm glad proud boys and oath keepers had, had informants among them. <laughs> I'm glad about that. I want these people arrested and I want them prosecuted and put in jail for what they did. They still committed the crimes. Just because there was an informant within these groups doesn't mean that these groups didn't commit any crimes. They still did. Von Hitch, good morning. He says, morning, some proud boys and others gain people's trust and convince people that bad ideas were good ideas. Yeah, they did. They did. And I'm glad the F I'm glad there were FBI informants there to get all, all that on tape and to help convict them. I mean, I don't, I don't know why, I don't know why people have this, uh, Desire to defend what the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers did that day. I don't get it. I don't get it. They certainly weren't doing what Trump wanted them to do, were they? Were they? Nothing about what Oath Keepers and Proud Boys did that day was what Trump wanted. That's what, that's what MAGA really needs to get through their head, is that the events of J6 interrupting the counting of electors meant interrupting the objections, which is what Trump wanted to happen. Once you understand that Proud Boys and Oath Keepers aren't MAGA, January 6th will become a lot easier to understand. Okay. I need to... I'm going to skip these things that I was going to present because I've run out of time. Because I want to end on a specifically... um, I don't know about, yeah, positive, but like a mindset, um, a a shift in mindset. So I want to present, uh, these things right here that are going to just not deal with any detailed specific information or news story or anything, but, um, give everybody a mindset. So I know I just talked about a very contentious topic in regards to January 6th. So agree or disagree with what I had to say about that. Let's just put it down. And move on to the next topic so that we can uh close out the show with a mindset type thing. Um, I'm sure there's there's some agreement between us and there's disagreement between us, and it's all good as long as we're we agree on principles. Okay. So first thing I want to mention is about uh Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. There's y'all are aware of the news with James O'Keefe and Project Veritas. We for a couple of weeks ago we started getting some um, some talk about this and so it seemed like there were some problems with the board and James was a suspended or there was all sorts of stories. And it was very good idea to apply the 24 to 72 hour rule to that news story um, that turned out to be good decision. And then later we got even bigger news and James O'Keefe announced that he was resigning from the board and is no longer CEO Although he's not completely out of Project Veritas, it doesn't seem. I'm not exactly sure what the current circumstances is or are. But what I want to tell everybody, remind everybody about, in regards to Project Veritas and James O'Keefe, I just want to say that James O'Keefe made the goal. This is a photo of him training with Eric Prince. Um, He set out the goal to make Project Veritas the next great intelligence agency. And he did that. So I just want to say, I'm not worried about O'Keefe. He accomplished the mission of making Project Veritas a great intelligence agency, an independent and patriotic one. He made Project Veritas a force in media and in politics, and he made it a patriotic intelligence outfit unlike any we have ever seen. I don't know what's next for him. Perhaps a change within Project Veritas will happen and he'll be welcome back as CEO or something similar. Or James O'Keefe may go off and do something new. I do know that even if Project Veritas is done being what they were created to be, James O'Keefe is not. So I'm not worried about James O'Keefe. And I've I've unfollowed Project Veritas from everything, and I don't believe Project Veritas will exist without James O'Keefe. Um, but I'm also. Not sure exactly what is going on here, there's. I've seen a lot of fake news stories going around about embezzling of funds, um, expenditures and stuff that. Don't actually make sense. Um, Project Veritas does a yearly audit. So it's really difficult to believe that James O'Keefe has been doing all this. um, Spending of things on himself without anybody noticing until now. Uh, There's some there's some. (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it. There's some fuckery afoot at Project Veritas. And it may turn out that project Veritas cleans up his act and cleans up its act and gets some people off the board who shouldn't be there. And James O'Keefe comes back that that could totally happen. Uh, but in the end, I'm not worried about James O'Keefe because whatever he does next, whether it's with project Veritas after this change up or it's something completely new, I'm sure it's going to be awesome and it's going to be more of the same um, or better. All right. Let's see, do I want to end with this one this one this one all right these are these are like three separate mindset type things, okay This is from my friend chris paul i don't I don't like basketball or understand it, but I understand what he's saying right here in this post. He says, "Let's imagine a basketball game. Our team get our team gets off to a slow start. There's turnovers, shots won't go down, etc. End of the first quarter, our team is down thirty to ten, losing big. The second quarter, our team outscores the opponent thirty to fifteen. We're now down forty five to forty at halftime. Third quarter is another good one." For our side, and we've outscored them 30 to 15 again. Score is 70 to 60 at the end of the third quarter. Also, their star player has been injured and will miss the rest of the game. Three more of their starters have five fouls. With five minutes remaining in the game, we're up by 30 points, and all three of those starters have fouled out. The game ends, and we have won by 40 points, a blowout. When did we win the game? Was it when the clock ran out and it was certain we had won? Was it when it became extremely unlikely for them to win at the end of the third quarter? When it was next to impossible with five minutes left? When did we start winning? Sometime in the third quarter, right? Or did we start winning the moment we stopped losing sometime in the second quarter as we began chipping their lead away? You can be winning for a long time without it feeling like winning, or without people being able to recognize that you are winning. Winning doesn't mean the game is over, and it doesn't mean you don't still have to play hard and execute. Everyone wants the game to be over so they can know we won. And then what? Go back to, quote, the way things were, like when we were not winning. This game we're actually in doesn't end. The purpose is to keep winning all the time. Sub out if you need a rest, but at least recognize when you're winning. Keep doing the things that worked and do more of them. Quote, Trump being president again isn't the end of the game. At what point will you accept that we are winning? If you don't have an answer, maybe the issue isn't what you think it is. Awesome post. By I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. So good. That is like when when I reference champion mindset, that's what I'm talking about. A champion mindset is always in pursuit of winning, constantly in that mindset of I am going to win and I'm going to do the work to win. That is, yes, that is a champion mindset right there. Next.
1: From Genealogy Girl on Twitter.
0: She says, It amazes me how many people got angry, not just angry, unreasonably angry, because everything that they wanted to happen did not happen fast enough. Instead of watching what is happening and what has happened, they concentrate on propaganda and fall into the anger and doom. Everything is happening in the order that it needs to happen in, even though you might not understand it. You certainly cannot think clearly and reasonably. When you are so angry that your ability to reason is completely gone. So do not let anyone tell you what you should think or what you should feel or judge you because you don't fall into their nonsense. Put everything into a timeline and then decide for yourself logically what is happening. You may be right, you may be wrong, but it is all a learning experience. Remember, all of the news is fake. So follow the documents and evidence, not the tabloid gossip that always comes out to be wrong. Of course, I like that very much because I like following the documents and the evidence. And that helps me not fall for some of the fake news that goes around everywhere. Don't let yourself get so angry. I see that so much, guys. I see it so much, especially on True Social. Um, more so than Twitter these days, where people just react to a new story instead of uh, seeking to understand it. They just get angry about it and get emotional, which makes it where they're unreasonable and they're not thinking logically. Now, lastly, and I haven't, I didn't really talk about Putin in his speech, but, um, well, from Burning Bright, he says, I'm not usually prone to trying to make connections based on specific words and announcements, but Nord Stream 2 accusations going around. Biden goes to Ukraine on President's Day. She is en route to Moscow. Trump is seating himself as the peacemaker. Putin is adopting a war posture. Vladimir Putin announces an end to the Start Treaty nuclear pact. He actually said he was suspending it, not ending it. The war is far from over, but I believe this week, the one-year anniversary of the Ukraine invasion is marking a shift into a new phase. So try to enjoy the show. And that is the main reason why I wanted to share this from BB is that another benefit of approaching things with some measure of following documents and evidence, not getting wrapped up in the news cycle or the fake news, trying to understand rather than react to news and events, not getting upset when things don't turn out exactly as you thought they would or wanted them to, or as quickly as you hoped they would. Another benefit of all of that is that you enjoy the show, a lot more. You enjoy these events. Just like um, on Monday's show, I was laughing at Biden being in Kiev. I could have gotten mad about it, but nothing good would have come from getting mad about it. There's no reason to get mad or no benefit to getting mad about it. You'll enjoy the show a lot more if you don't let these things force an emotional reaction out of you. Just try to enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. It seems like we're at this amazing precipice. By the way, there was a, a congressional delegation in Taiwan also this week at the same time that all of these things that B.B. mentions here are going on. Um, World War Three is trending on Twitter like every day. Um it seems like we're super we're super close to that precipice that we expect. And I'm ready for it. I'm not worried about it. I'm ready for it. Okay. Yep. All right, guys, that's the end of the show today. Probably won't do a show on Friday, so don't look for it. If I decide to do a show, I'll post about it um, as usual. Um, But I will see you guys tonight on the devolution power hour over on badlands media links to support the show are in the description. If you guys want to do that much appreciated and uh, hit that thumbs up if you like the show today. Um, and yeah, y'all have a blessed Wednesday. Have a great one. Remember, we're not going to win every battle, but we are going to win this war. God bless you. I'll see y'all tonight.